Take a network break. Help yourself to a virtual donut while we masticate this week's IT news. We cover new products from Juniper Networks and Aviatrix, financial results from Cisco, potential trouble with new TLDs, and more. We're sponsored today by Palo Alto Networks. Your branches changed. Your SD-WAN should too. So join Palo Alto Networks to see how AI and ML are powering next-gen SD-WAN and SASE for the branch. SDX Central and Palo Alto Networks are hosting an exclusive online event on May 24th. So you can see how next-gen SD-WAN and SASE can help you modernize and secure your branches. Go to sdxcentral.com to get the link to this free event or see the show notes notes uh, for Network Break episode 431. Uh, and then stay tuned for a sponsored Tech Bytes podcast. We talk with sponsor Pika8 about how white box networking gives engineers the flexibility to choose hardware and software that best meets their campus needs. Pika8's network OS runs on multiple hardware platforms so engineers can overcome challenges including supply chain disruptions and end of life hardware. Yeah, open networking, white box, disaggregation. It's mm-hmm. not dead. Not There's dead, things still happening around. in that space still, yeah. Just because we don't talk about it with a sense of awe and wonder like we always used to. Um, <laughs> you remember when white box first came out, we were all like, wow, it's going to change everything. Um, and it did for a while, and then the the market sort of regressed somewhat to the mean, but there's a lot of customers out there still doing white box and disaggregated in places that often don't get a lot of coverage, and Pika rates one of those. So it was good to talk to them and, and hear their story. Yeah, and if you're looking to get hardware, you're having issues, uh, that, that they're definitely worth, uh, stick around for the conversation. It's, it, you know, it may help you out. Um, mm, last right. but not least, before we jump in the news, uh, if you do like Network Break, we've got a bunch of other podcasts in the network, including our newest, including Kubernetes Unpacked and Heavy Wireless, which uh, just released episode two. Uh, Heavy Wireless, you do have to subscribe for individually. You can just find uh, out how to do that at packetpushers.net, uh, but it's a dedicated wireless networking show with Keith Parsons. Yeah, Um Somebody wrote, uh, somebody hit our FU page, the follow-up page the other day and said um, uh, they like to have everything in the in the full pipe and we've stopped putting everything into the full pipe because our um, analytics suggests that if we stuff the pipe with too much content, people actually stop listening. But somebody actually flagged and said, it goes the other way. I look <laughs> at the full pipe and then click on the ones I want to see and... Um, you know, and the ones I want to listen to, the ones that looks interesting, they're the ones I, I listen to. And that's a good argument, but uh, there has to be an argument by numbers. So that is the greater good for the greater number. I'm the greater good and you're the greater number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, add all of our stuff into one feed only for people to stop listening because they get overwhelmed by the amount. Because we do put out a lot of content these days. These days, yeah. Um, so if you actually consume the full feed or the fat pipe in that way, um, please tell us uh, because um, that would help us to change our minds. Strong opinions loosely held is sort of how I go through all of this and we have a way of thinking and if it's right or wrong, then let me know. Yep, and you can reach out to us at packetbrushes.net slash FU, the FU's for follow-up. Uh, all right, let's jump into the news. First, Juniper Networks has dropped a couple of product announcements. Uh, the company is rolling out a cloud-based network access control or NAC offering for the campus, and the company is integrating ChatGPT into its Marvis AI platform. So let's take those one by one. Uh, on the NAC front, Juniper is launching Mist Access Assurance. It's a cloud-based NAC. It's integrating with third-party identity systems to provide access control for laptops, mobile phones, IoT devices, etc. Juniper says it can integrate with third-party identity services and directories so you can grant access and apply policies based on users, devices, and roles, uh, essentially competing with things like like Cisco, ICE, Aruba, ClearPass, but at the outset, Juniper says it's focused on customers that are already using Juniper's missed wireless APs and Juniper's campus switches, uh, and maybe down the line, they'll try to take it more broadly. Yeah, I mean, calling a problem, uh, you know, MAA or MA, that doesn't, sorry, did I do that? Did you I did, that? missed um, access assurance, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> you did do that. Um, that's a little harsh, because this is absolutely following the crowd, so it is a little bit like, you know, bit sheep-like in the sense, but um, I think, the realization is that even though I might find it weird that people are still working to get network access control or NAC 
um, into their networks in 2023 while we look at zero trust network access, which is, and zero trust more broadly, it really feels sometimes to me like, you know, oh, hello, 10 years ago. You know, when Aruba ClearPass got it working successfully. Yes. And, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. People still, Cisco ICE has become popular amongst the people who are one brand wonders, you know, the people who focus on just a single source brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't generally hear too much positive about ICE because it's still not a particularly well-written piece of software from what I can extend. But we saw Arista bring out Agni recently, which is in the same space. Uh, Arista Guardian for Network Identity. Um, oh, and props to the person who wrote into the follow-up to say that Agni actually connotates the Vedic fire deity of Hinduism. So there you go for a double entendre, if you wow. will. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, there you go. Not surprising, really, um, for Arista to come up with something with that sort of thing. But Agni, maybe that explains why they went with the weird sort of AGNI type thing, yes. which is uh, interesting. But I think the, the, th- the, I don't know, just like the whole neck thing there's a sports analogy like skating to where the puck was five minutes ago in <laughs> zero trust feels like skating to where the puck's going. That's a small port sports ball reference for people who are got no culture whatsoever. Um, so I think it's a recognition that Cisco's making buku bucks around the campus and knack is a way to put some, uh, hot sauce on top of your legacy campus network and make it seem like you're actually changing it and you do need in this era of advanced security you want micro segmentation and stuff and maybe legacy NAC where you actually do the zero trust in the hardware of the network maybe there's enough customers out there that vendors can actually go and squeeze that lemon one more time before we move to a much different model which is just straight up overlays with zero trust does that make sense yes i think uh because Mist has been for Juniper, it's sort of wedge into the campus and it's, mm. you know, people have been uh, interested in Mist because of the automation capabilities and, and Juniper basically said to me that, you know, customers were like, this is great, we like the wireless stuff, but we need NAC for X reasons, so can you just add it? Uh, so this has been on their mm. roadmap to do, uh, given their focus on the enterprise campus, it was just sort of like, yeah, we need to check this box for customers who need it for reasons, yeah. probably around compliance. And Now, interestingly, it appears they've developed it internally, right? No, <laughs> they did no? not. Well, oh, sort okay. of, they... They uh, acquired a company called White Sand, which had a NAC ah. product uh, back in 2022, but they said they aren't using the White Sand uh, technology. They're just using the White Sand people. So I guess uh, sort of developed internally with some with some help yeah. from, 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 from an aqua hire. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So they bought White Sand, not for the product, but for the people. Yes. And then they went in and beat them with a bunch of sticks to rewrite a new product. <laughs> that's Juniper. To, to fit with Mist. Juniper. Yes. To fit, with to fit Mist. in with Mist, I, yes. I imagine. Yes. All right. Exactly. That makes sense. So that's. But that's interesting, right? Um, in in itself, because effectively what they've been able to do is build a NAC product in two years, say. Worst case, less, more like uh, less. Uh, they acquired White Sand back in 2022, so you know, depending on yeah. when the acquisition was and so on. Yeah, it was a, you know, for yeah. having to develop a product, a pretty fast turnaround. Yeah. So if you think about that, Aruba ClearPass and Cisco Ice took five to eight years to emerge into the market. You know, went through various iterations, and now we're seeing a whole product like this developed in a year or less, albeit with an aqua hire. Um, that's a thing, I think. Yep, I think so. Mm, I think so. I, I just the speed at which we're seeing new new software come out of vendors is certainly picking up pace. It may not feel like it. It certainly doesn't feel like one of the things I noted when I looked at all of this week, Drew, is there's nothing that's exciting or innovative. I think I've said this before a couple of times on recent shows, but this is interesting in the sense that people are saying, "I want existing technology that just works." 
And I wonder if that's a theme that you could take away. People are saying, I need a knack. I don't need it to be fancy. It just needs to be basically competent. It doesn't need to be like, you know, all singing or dancing. And so they're doing it. Instead of saying, oh, I'm going to migrate to zero trust, I read customers are saying, I just want to do knack, which is what I learned five years ago. Or what have we been doing for the last 10 years? Just give me that. And there's lots of money for campuses, campus upgrades out there right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, you know, a checkbox that Juniper had to tick. And I, mm. I appreciate the fact that they didn't slather zero trust all over the press release or the materials. They are just defining it as NAC. I'm sure they will roll out more robust sort of zero trust capabilities down the line once this gets, you know, fully baked and rolled out and so on. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I shouldn't say just NAC. It's a NAC product. It's not anything groundbreaking. It's not, but I, I also agree that there is an issue now. And I, we've, we've heard this with other big companies realizing it. People just want stuff to work. They don't care about necessarily the new shiny they just want things to work that they have uh, mm -hmm. and hopefully that's the case with this NAC product yeah so one of the things is I guess I want to say is that I recognize that people want normal or everyday technology it's not always about the newest and the greatest yeah and so sometimes when these shows aren't you know when our content isn't the world's <laughs> most exciting but maybe think of it as a peanut butter sandwich and uh, you know Good. it's reliable it's, reliable yeah. and nourishing that's uh, it, we'll put we'll frame it, it that way if we can it's an accurate reflection of what's actually happening out there maybe yes uh, one more thing to wrap this up regarding the chat GPT announcement uh, Juniper's Marvis AI platform which already has natural language processing capabilities where you can you know query the system with a question like what's wrong with this AP at this location or why was this zoom call so bad Juniper is now adding uh, chat GPT into Marvis and the idea is that uh if you need to look up something like how to do something in some Juniper documentation, you can query ChatGPT and get sort of a precis uh, from based on that documentation as opposed to having to go look through a bunch of uh, white papers or docs yourself uh, to limit uh, ChatGPT mistakes and made up information. Juniper says it's uh, just going to feed ChatGPT only Juniper documentation so that you can uh, be fairly confident that the information mm -hmm. it's spitting back to you is reliable. There it is. Any Juniper announcement without a missed mention would just not be an announcement these days, right? <laughs> well, they do have to talk about AI, yes. <laughs> you have to talk about Mist and AI and Marvis and all that. I was, I was waiting for it, I must say. Um, so in previous discussions around AI, I indicated that my impression was that small AI would be more useful than what I think of as big AI. And big AI is ChatGPT and Llama and Bart and all the other uh, GPT models that are out there in the market, which is... And they're all great, but they're often inaccurate and they're hard to know when it's right or wrong. But if you could narrowly train an AI on just a narrow subset of things, it can actually be, you know, take out less of the religious models. You know, so if you've trained an AI on the Bible and uh, the works of Marx and the Hindu, you know, and the, the works of the Quran and so forth, maybe that's not necessary in networking and we would actually be something a bit more specific, right? And so I think this is what uh, would, what Juniper is doing. And they're also looking around and seeing blog posts out there where people say, I fed in 20,000 blog posts from my personal blog and now I can write like me, right? <laughs> right. So if you can feed a, a GPT model with your documentation, you can just ask it questions and it'll start to answer as though there's a attack engineer on the other end of that. I think that's that the has, idea, yep. Yeah, and that is... A, very easy to do, like didn't take Juniper a team of 100 engineers with 20, you know, slave masters beating them with, with, you know, share price dockets for 10 weeks to get this. This is just something that doesn't take too much to do. So it's good to see it done. Um, and also that uh, you're getting into this natural language. Now, Mist had natural language stuff before. And right. we saw Aruba talk about this and Aristus talking about this as well. But is it the fact that GPT, you know, or chat GPT or one of the new LLMs is better than the one that they had? I, I don't know. We'll have to have to sort of assume that, yeah. 
but it, it is very much that uh, Juniper's got a massive time-to-market here advantage. Yeah. Yeah. It's got uh, AI. It's got years of AI development behind it. I don't believe I've seen a Cisco announcement from Cisco that mentions AI in this, like, at all. Um, they had a lot of stuff doing deep learning and machine learning in the past. Um, those products seem to have not had huge take-up by customers. Um that around analytics and um, data gathering and building data lakes of networking data. Uh, and so Juniper's managed to pick the right idea here, which is that MIST is an AI for configuration and operation of particularly campus networks and growing into other areas as well, the WAN, of course. And I think Juniper's got a massive edge here compared to Cisco or Arista or Aruba. And if you think that this is something that you want, this operational edge, you're not going to get it from anybody else for, I don't know, let me go out on a limb and on the spreadsheet and say a year, two, maybe okay. two, two mm-hmm. years, right? Yep. Well, I mean, there's new technologies now that other companies are probably looking to leverage, i.e. Uh, ChatGPT and, and OpenAI stuff. But yeah, uh, Juniper does have a lead uh, and they are making the most of it. I think Cisco's problem will be if they put a GPT interface into their product, then that actually disconnects their sales model because people then don't have to engage with tools like DevNet or online communities that Cisco owns and controls or sales reps or TAC. Does that make sense? It puts a thing in the middle. Mm -hmm. And Cisco's always been high price, and the money that you spend for that high price is a high-touch sales model, especially at the upper end of of the thing. And if you start having a GPT model starting to answer those questions instead of Cisco's high touch model, I do wonder if they're a bit distressed about, well, and also internally, Cisco's not going to find this an easy thing to do. It's it's not got a lot of internal expertise around AI um, and how to productize that. And Cisco's product development model maybe make this very hard for them to achieve in the near future before they finally get the hang of it and start producing the products with it. So we'll see. We'll see. My guess is Cisco will start with Meraki, uh, Meraki and go from there. Uh, we can yeah, put scale that on the, the bottom up. Yeah. Do something at the small. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I like Thanks. it. Well, thank you. I like it. I wouldn't bet against it. <laughs> well, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to bet you 10 bucks against that one. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good one. I like it. <laughs> All right. Links in the show notes if you want to read up on it. We'll move on. Uh, Aviatrix, they offer multi-cloud networking, has announced a new distributed firewall capability. It provides uh, L4 through L7 firewalling along with other security features, including IDS, threat prevention, URL filtering, and NAT capabilities. Uh, and the idea is instead of spinning up third-party firewalls and having to manage them separately across your public clouds, Aviatrix says it can integrate security into the network it's already built for you. Yeah, not much happening here. I basically have the idea, sense that firewalls are like armpits. All the vendors have them, and they usually stink. Thanks to, just a note there, thanks to Johnny Two Taps for that improvement on the line. I've been saying that, you know, <laughs> firewalls are like armpits for a while. Uh, but anyway, uh, I basically, the way that uh, Aviatrix works is it has a bunch of containers or VMs on a private network. That private network is somewhat of an overlay, and sometimes it's direct access. You know, they actually buy dedicated bandwidth from point to point. But the point is that they've got all of these nodes all around the place. So it's not hugely difficult to add a packet and flow filtering to those containers, which they did, I think, six to nine months ago. We did an article uh, on this show where we talked about how they'd added firewalling to it. And I think at the time I said they were catching up to the other cloud players, and that's exactly what's happening here. So when they added IP and DNS filtering, you know, by buying a threat intelligence feed to filter out IP IP addresses and DNS by names, now they're just doing the same thing with L4. So it's taken them a Probably longer than most companies. I think it, I feel this is a little bit slower. I know that uh, Alkira has been doing this for a while, and we've seen plenty of other companies just say, oh, you know what? I'm already putting a proxy in the network. Why don't I just add some threat intelligence and do that to it? So the interesting thing, I think, though, is that the monetization of this is 
where Aviatrix is, because they're very much focused on the public cloud, not mm-hmm. the private cloud, mm-hmm. um, they're actually able to go to customers and say, we can actually pay for our product just by avoiding AWS charges. So particularly uh, AWS NAT gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, by doing the NAT inside of Aviatrix instead of using AWS's product, you can actually justify the entire, almost the entire Aviatrix product. Now that's a pretty narrow business bet. If I'm Aviatrix, that's a pretty... That's not a good business model, betting that AV- that AWS won't suddenly, you know, reduce the pricing on AWS net gateways. But, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, if you think that, you know, AWS is charging you too much money for IP addresses, for net gateways, for its firewalls, you can have these private network companies like Aviatrix do it for you and it probably comes up neutral and you get some features that you otherwise didn't get or that AWS was going to charge you a fortune for. And it also works with Azure and Google Cloud and Oracle, blah, blah, blah. So there's some advantages. Yeah, I think so. And I think they'll probably say the same thing, I assume, about, you know, you you spun up a bunch of virtual Palos or Fortinets or whatever checkpoints in your public cloud. Uh, we will do mm-hmm. it for you cheaper. Uh, the question mm-hmm. is, can they do it well? Uh, they are putting this all together using open source tools, which to me is a potential warning flag requiring more investigation on the customer part, because how you integrate uh, all of these disparate tools and make them work well together is tricky. Uh, so you want to test performance and, and capabilities there. Um, but I do think it makes perfect sense for Aviatrix to get into network security because they are already providing you the network. So why not, you know, drop in some filtering while you're there? It makes perfect sense and is a logical uh, extension mm. of their capabilities. Yeah, but late. This is something most of their other competitors in this space were already doing. So Better late than never. Yeah, exactly. You know, the question is, and, and the flip side of that, of course, is just because it's late doesn't mean it's not a good time. Were the other people too early is the other side of that question. And I'm not answering that because I'm not exactly sure I have a good answer. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on, Greg, you attended a, a Dell analyst event where they were talking about zero trust network access. Is this something Dell is getting into? Do they do they have a product suite for ZTNA? Yeah. You know, I attended the whole session and it was kind of difficult to watch because it was just, it was very vendor, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, I walked away with the impression that Dell was talking about zero trust because they don't have any. They don't have a product in the space. And what they sort of said was, we know, well, this is what zero trust looks like. And we've got all of the pieces that people use to make zero trust. So don't forget that we do zero trust by association. And they're also sort of saying to customers, yes, we know that zero trust is a thing. And we can see that we don't have to sell into that space ourselves. And we'll partner with somebody else for that. Does that make sense? It's not a oh, we're announcing a zero trust initiative. It's a, yes, we recognize it's a thing and we're trying to, we're either going to find somebody else to partner with that, you know, if you you bring us a zero trust partner, we're going to be a good buddy and Mm -hmm. make sure it works. Mm -hmm. Or they're looking around to sniff around and say, is this big enough for us to get involved with? I I think one of those two answers is right. And maybe both. Yeah, uh, I guess this makes sense when vendors uh, see a hot topic emerging, they feel like they have to say something about it, even if they don't actually have any products in that space. Uh, so maybe mm. this is what that is. They're acknowledging, yes, zero trust is a thing. We know it and we'll, we, we'll put it in our marketing brochure just to have it there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but talk to a sales rep to find out more details. Uh, it is a big company thing. Sometimes they, you, know, you do a search for you know <clears throat> Dell and zero trust and you'll find a brochure and you'll get to the end of it and go like, that doesn't say anything. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I would love to do, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, chart where like a new term comes out, like intent based networking, and then you can just watch intent uh, messaging start to bop, bubble up in every mm-hmm. other competitor, whether they have it or not. It's uh, I would be I'd like to chart that out someday if I have the time and the inclination. But I also feel yeah. like, you know, ZTNA is kind of a networking thing. And Dell to me, Dell networking is like cicadas every, you know, seven years or so they pop up and make a bunch of noise about it and then go quiet again for, <laughs> for a period. Uh <laughs> So maybe this is also yeah. that. Not going to lie. That's a good metaphor. Digging it. <laughs> digging it. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, uh, links in the show notes if you want to read more. We'll uh, quick break to tell you about our sponsor today, Palo Alto Networks. Your branches changed. Your SD-WAN should too. Join Palo Alto Networks to see how AI and ML are powering next-gen SD-WAN and SASE for the branch. As businesses focus on driving the next growth phase, branch transformation has become a key priority for IT leaders. Critical industries such as finance, retail, healthcare, and manufacturing rely on a network of branch offices to serve their customers well. The newly established trends of hybrid work, digital-first customers, and accelerated cloud adoption force organizations to rethink their branch IT strategy. So join SDX Central and Palo Alto Networks for this exclusive online event and see how NextGen, SD-WAN, and SASE can help you modernize and secure your branches. Go to sdxcentral.com to get the link to this free event or see the show notes for Network Break episode 431. We thank Palo Alto for being a sponsor. Uh, back to the news. BlueCat, they provide uh, IPAM, DNS, and DHCP, also called DDI. Uh, they've acquired Men and Mice, another DDI provider. The acquisition amount was not disclosed. Now, this is um, a little bit weird. There's not much information to go on here. And the IPAM slash DDI, I still think of it as IPAM because that's what I used to think of it. Because you're old. Yeah, enough of that. Hey, hush, <laughs> hush. You're seasoned. Let me rephrase. See- you're seasoned. Yeah, so at least you didn't call me heritage. I might have been. <laughs> <laughs> Them's fighting words. Yeah, something like that. So what I wanted to do here, I think perhaps the best thing or the is to share some speculation on my part and why I expect a lot more mergers and acquisitions. We talked about it in the last few shows. And I believe that if you are buying products in enterprise IT, you should have some sort of skill to evaluate a company and its ability to survive. Like, is this a one-trick pony that's going to run a couple of laps and then collapse and get put down? Or, you know, is it a company that comes and goes? Is it a company that's going to last? Is it a company ripe for acquisition and so forth? So I don't have any inside information on this one. I'm just speculating. Um, If you want to get the real story, why don't you uh, ask them the real story if you are a customer or thinking of being one? So I think that IPAM and the DDI market has been shrinking for a while, right? Open source tools exist for a basic functionality, and there's a lot of automation gateway products or automation platforms that also offer um, IPAM especially, but also DDI to a greater or lesser extent. So we're seeing, uh, look, we just talked about Aviatrix, and they have a DNS firewall in the side of that product. Is that something that you want to buy as part of your DDI, you know, IP address management DNS server, or is it something else? So I sort of came to the, I sort of been poking at um, my view is that Blue Cat sort of comes from the SMB market mm-hmm. and they've been bubbling up into and they forked a little bit into the service provider market for certain types of customers and they've done but they've been mainly into the enterprise market. Whereas mice and men, aside from the burden of having a name that is just not suitable for technology, I mean, <laughs> just a weird, weird choice, but yes, weird choice. I'm, I'm sure there's a story behind it and Probably. I'm sure it's even, yeah, whatever. But it's very difficult to talk about a company, Mice and Men, and, and actually be regarded as an adult sort of thing. So maybe it's good that they sold themselves just so they didn't have to do the rebranding. But um, as far as I'm aware, M&M has a, a really deep penetration in the service provider and very large enterprise. They've been in the business, I think, more than 15 years. And then just recently, they developed a product called Maestro, 
M-I-C-E-T-R-O. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're not giving it up. They're leaning into that, yeah. They're leaning, yeah, go with it, Red. Go deeper. But it's very new, and my guess would be is that that product needs a lot of money to get market share, like to build that up as a viable product, to create marketing hype, convince customers that, you know, who Mice and Men is. And so maybe they just sort of struggle to make that happen. There's not enough money going around in the, we talked this in previous weeks about how VC funding's drying up. In before they might have been able to go for a loan or to go to a VC to get some funding or whatever, and it's changed. Or, you know, maybe the founders are just looking for an out. So whatever the reason, Eminem has sold over to Blue Cat. And the question really is, what happens after the sale? Does which product survive? And that's the evaluation that you kind of have to do. I don't know. I, I could give you a guess, I suppose. My guess is that um, Blue Cat will move its products into the enterprise space and deprecate the mice and men products, and then the mice and men will, at the service provider or the at the large end of the market, will be rebranded into something and then become Blue Cat, you know, mega enterprise DDI or something like that. I think they've got a real tough fight though because, you know, Blue Cat added DNS firewalling to their product two years ago. They've got some security solutions around there about IP monitoring and all that sort of stuff, but. That's a tough market these days when you've got tools like Netbox that does it almost for free for a lot of customers. Or if you buy an automation gateway like from Glueware or Itential, you'll get almost that for free as well. So they're going to have a difficult time putting that together, I think. Yeah, two things. First, I don't know how it, it totally escaped my attention that the blue cat acquires men and mice, the cat caught the mouse. I, I totally missed that, so apologies there. <laughs> Uh, that's great. They're staring us right in that's, the face. Yeah, oh, that's such a good joke. We could have led with that. Oh, gee whiz, oh, yeah. oh, we yeah. need a redo. Uh, yeah. But the other thing is, I I, I did look up some uh, market size on DDI uh, according to a, a research firm called Markets and Markets. Uh, the U.S. market for DDI is forecast to have a compound annual growth rate of fifteen percent year over year and to be worth eight hundred and thirty-six million by twenty twenty-three. So, not a huge market, you know, compared to mm-hmm. switching and routing and so on. But you know, more than three quarters of a billion dollars is nothing to sneeze at. That, and that's just in the U.S., so there is uh, money to be made there. Yeah, um, the market leader in that space is Infoblox, right. and I know that Infoblox is actually mandated as part of the U.S. federal spending program. If you, uh, you basically have to buy it. <laughs> if you're a U.S. federal agency, you have to buy Infoblox. Yeah, that's right. Which is huh. you know, so a lot of that money just went to Infoblox. So. <laughs> <laughs> like breaking into those federal contracts, that's a really tough game. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see. Well, maybe they can gear up here with Blue Cat and Men and Mice to, to get after some of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a tough market. And like I said, it's not just, you know, Infoblox versus Blue Cat. Now it's Infoblox versus Blue Cat versus a whole bunch of other tools that are taking up, and including a lot of quite competent open source tools that have had years of development and are good enough for a lot of networks. So yeah. it's all about finding niches and features inside of that market. So good luck to them. All right, uh, moving on. Security experts are now warning that two new top-level domains introduced by Google could be used by scammers to trick people into clicking malicious links. The .zip and .mov domains look like common file extensions for compression and for video, and the concern is that scammers could make a URL link uh, look like a file link and trick users into visiting malicious sites. Yeah, this is much, much worse than it looks. <laughs> you just think like, oh, all right, you know, uh, uh, quotation .zip could be a website. And so instead of having to... Uh, 
put an attachment in an email, you can now just say, click here to download quotation.zip, takes you to a website, which is then has some sort of malware or scam yep. associated with it, right? That yep. is very hard to detect and very hard to stop unless you're just going to... Uh, my instant recommendation is just for everybody to block those entire two, two domain TLDs, mm. .zip and .mov, because there, who is going to make a, a domain name like packetpushes.mov? Why would you do that? Or packetpushers.zip, right? For, for all our I movies, know. I guess, right? All the packet pushers movies. Yeah, no, I think it, you're, you're absolutely right. It's it's a terrible idea to zip and .mov are so sort of ingrained in the internet culture for being not domain names that it, the, the potential for confusion and uh, misuse is ripe. Now, it really feels like the head and the arsehole isn't talking, talking together inside of Google. There's somewhere in there, there's an arsehole who says, look, I've got these TLDs, which I paid the Iana good money for, right? <laughs> so I'm going to make money out of them, so I'm going to go and sell them. I don't care what you think. But the head's up there going, you know, when, the, when, that, when that arsehole sells those, I'm going to sell you another package to protect you from them. I mean, right? so you know, just, how, how much more work is now is Google going to have to do to, you know, try to tease out the phishing scams uh, churning through Gmail with this stuff? So this is the thing about Google is that it's got a business unit that decided to buy these domain names. It's paid the several million dollars to Iana to own them. So it wants to ship them so that it can make its numbers for the quarter or for the year. Mm -hmm. But there's another business inside of Google that can now say, well, I can protect customers from the domain names that my- <laughs> That <laughs> my I have foisted on them. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so it feels a bit like- uh, Nice domain names you've got there. Be a shame if they did something that we planned they were going to do. You know, it's like a straight up mafia scam. It's you know, like hitting you on the head with a hammer and then selling you aspirin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just like, anyway, we'll see what happens. I doubt Google is going to cave here, but I do feel like it's, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And, and it depends on whether there's a security unit inside of Google. Is it going to be able to speak up loud enough to actually shut this down? And we'll have to just wait and see. But if you are running gateways out of a corporate enterprise or a filter, I would probably just put in a manual rule and say, just block the whole .zip, .mov and just be done with it. Yeah. There's no reason. If you want to understand how easy it is to, compl to, to take advantage of this, uh, I've got links in the show notes to an RS Technica article, which is excellent, and yep. another one on a Medium article, which actually shows you how to build a URL, which is a one-stop shop for exploitation. So... All right, continuing on, uh, Broadcom is continuing its push to assure regulators that its proposed VMware acquisition won't be anti-competitive. Broadcom has proposed a set of remedies to EU regulators following meetings earlier in May between CEO Hoktan and EU antitrust commissioners. This is according to a story in Reuters. Uh, specifically, the EU is worried that Broadcom is going to make it harder for VMware software to run on competitors' fiber channel host bus adapters. And, and Broadcom's trying to say, no, no, we won't, we won't do that. <laughs> I'm not worried about fiber channel. I'm worried about uh, DPUs. What if Broadcom decides to ship its own DPU with its own custom processor and hardware? So what about all those other third-party DPUs that are out there? NVIDIA, Bluefield, and so forth, right? There's lots. Intel's got its uh, IPU, whatever it's called this week, and you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the key factors here is that Hoktan went to the EU commission in person. Mm -hmm. That shows a certain amount of, oh, uh, this is a real problem and I'm willing to fight for it. So if I'm going to go and turn up to the commission in person, I'm signaling that I am serious about this potentially and that I'm willing to listen to what's being said and to make a difference. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens at it. Uh, no, I still don't see that Broadcom is going to get through the US FTC hurdles, although it is possible that it will. It might be able to make a better case because the FTC's uh, anti-competitive rules are very different. And Broadcom has already made some 
massive um, concessions to the U.S. government. It was previously domiciled in Singapore, I think, mm-hmm. and then it relocated head office to somewhere in the U.S. so that it could be seen as a U.S. company, even though most of its head office functions still exist in Singapore. So in the current political climate, a little bit hard to know how Broadcom's going to be perceived by the U.S. government at this time, but it's also got to get through the U.K. If the U.K. rejects the takeover office, but the other two do, I'm actually not sure what happens. I guess we'll find out if it happens, but the UK remains 750 million, and in theory, if they, the UK won't let them, then it can't do business here. So that would be a problem. Yeah, it's also kind of ironic that you know Broadcom spent almost six billion dollars to buy a fiber channel business from Brocade, and now it's that that acquisition that is potentially holding up the even bigger VMware acquisition. Uh, it's also a little bit yeah. odd to me that the EU is so hung up on fiber channel, but I guess they have their reasons. It just depends on the consultants that they hire or who decides to get involved in the consultation and things like that. And then I guess. It's, it's, if you've ever done consulting in that area, you'll just stand in awe of how badly things can be done. But it, it is one of those things where that if it depends on who shows up and what arguments they like and, and what mm-hmm. they think they know. And uh, But I don't think that's much of an argument. I'd be more worried about what's going to happen with DPUs uh, and what's going to happen competitively with VMware when you know Broadcom <clears> has its... Switching Essex, it already dominates the market. What happens if they decide to do VMware stuff specifically with switching Essex? That's where I'd be worried. Mm. Not Fiber Channel. That's yesterday's technology. Yeah. yeah. All right. A couple more stories before we wrap. Uh, Cisco reported financial results for the third quarter of its fiscal year 2023. The company posted revenues of $14.6 billion, up 14% year over year, and net income of $3.2 billion, up 6% year over year. Uh, by business unit, most units saw revenues rise except for collaboration, which was down 13%. So the down 13% is, I believe, we don't know what actually Cisco puts in when it breaks out its business unit categories. We don't know what's in each category. They don't tell you. So with names like Secure Agile Network, $7.5 billion, Internet for the Future, thirteen ninety two, and Collaboration. I have to assume that Collaboration is Zoom and WebEx, and that shrank by 13% year over year. I think it's fair to say that Cisco's WebEx slash IP telephony slash conferencing technologies is not doing well and that would be not much of a surprise to anybody webex really isn't capturing the mind share of people who would much rather use teams or zoom than turn to cisco as as a as a solution that's not to say that um, they might not be able to turn around, but I think Cisco's pretty much given up at this point and they're going to run it as it is because there's a lot of customers out there using it and it's good business. A billion dollars a quarter is still a fairly good business. But I think Cisco's missed that transition to that IP collaboration type stuff, even though they've been in it for nearly 20 years, which might be telling. Uh, the other thing I note is that the share price fell quite a lot. I think it went up by 3% and then it fell by 6% today. As we record, this is Friday, the 19th of May, so it's bouncing around. Uh, Analysts are taking two different ways of looking at this. One analyst said, I'm positive on the networking industry, but see Cisco as a share loser and more macro sensitive than most. The company's financial year 23 beat is not surprising because supply is improving, but the industry is seeing weak orders now due to digestion of recently increased shipments and reduction in lead times and the customer need to place early orders. So in other words, the supply chain hassles that we had a while back are now gone. Customers placed a lot of advanced orders thinking it would take a year or two years for goods to arrive. But now that those goods are coming, customers just aren't reordering. There's no more. So you've a lot of business got pulled through, but Cisco's losing momentum now that they've got what they want. They're not ordering more and that Cisco's not particularly a partner. We've said that a few times on the show. I think, you know, we pointed out that Arista's gaining, getting size. It's attacking the markets in which Cisco's been winning, in the campus especially, and in the WAN. 
Juniper is definitely attacking the campus very hard. Uh, Juniper Aruba has done great work there. Meraki's been very successful, but it's not. Cisco doesn't. I, I still don't get the sense that Cisco regards Meraki as its future. It's still very, you know, it, up until last week, I would have said that Viptela was going to be the savior of Cisco as a networking company, but maybe not when it's become clear that Cisco maybe isn't investing the sort of money into that that it needs to be to be a world class solution and, and doing the right things to re engineer it to be ready for the next you know, for, for SSE and, and SASE. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that works out over time. So not a surprise that Cisco's got this up and down going so horizontal, like its share price is probably under threat. And there's an increasing sentiment amongst the analyst community that Cisco's not got much going forward. So the feedback from our value-added reseller checks on Cisco remain generally downbeat. Concerns of Cisco fatigue and share losses, and though we acknowledge Cisco could benefit from generative AI tailwinds, we remain apprehensive about Cisco's weakening competitive position across various segments, including networking, security, and collaboration. So that would confirm my analyst viewpoint, if you like, and just to confirm to you that I'm not the only one with those negative opinions, but I'll also point out that I can go and read analyst reports and quote them to you with positive views, saying Cisco's robust and continuously finds ways to make money. The one that I saw most recently was that Cisco's offering free finance for a year. So you can go and order a product, get it delivered today, and they'll finance it for a year, which is usually a sign, you know, that's like going to the store and saying, buy now, pay later. And that's basically what Cisco's doing, which might be a signal, might be a signal that Cisco's uh, feeling the pinch in the long term. They are still the biggest networking vendor uh, on the planet, though, or, or at least mm-hmm. in the United States. Uh, so uh, they, they, you know, the, the fundamentals uh, seem to be decent. I, I do agree. Cisco's they have not a networking trouble, vendor anymore. It's an IT company. It though, is an right? IT company. Yeah, you're right. right. It's got Duo doing identity. It's got yep. servers. It's got it's security. Got yeah. HCI. It's got security. It's got CASB. It's got SSE. It's got. So really, uh, Cisco isn't a networking company. It's just an IT company. But uh, it's definitely gaining a reputation for someone who's delivering the numbers, but there's no purpose, there's no sense of going forward. Companies, look, if you look at the competitors like Dell or HPE who are going in a particular direction and the company's focus, Cisco's sort of wafting a little bit, if that makes sense. It's not clearly got a direction that people can understand and it's not necessarily delivering the results that people might expect if it was if it was following through on a, on a strategy that yeah well links in the show notes if you want to look up those numbers for yourselves we're going to wrap up uh greg you found uh this is slightly off topic but uh an advisory from the world health organization warning about artificial sweeteners in in, in sugary drinks yeah this is <laughs> this is just weird because i know in certain groups of people uh drinking diet sodas or soft drinks if you're an Australian or um, you know whatever country it is there's a different name for sodas and cokes and you know all that sort of stuff and what they're saying is that they believe that the diet versions using uh, saccharin or aspartame Aspartame. or cyclamates or Mm -hmm. neotame any of those are not healthy basically and they certainly don't have any provable outcomes on improving your health, particularly related to weight loss. In other words, the most likely outcome is people drink diet drinks but eat other foods to, to say, oh, well, now that I've had that, I'll just eat more of something that's actually bad for you. <laughs> to satiate the actual sugar craving, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, the report's kind of odd because um, I'm not a big fan of the World Health Organization after COVID. I thought that they really fumbled COVID and did a really bad job. And to some extent, I think there was a lot of politics in there when the Chinese government came into the World Health Organization and actively lobbied against the World Health Organization from issuing a worldwide, you know, like Mm -hmm. there was a lot of 
political stuff going on in the WHO. But I think in this case, I'm going to follow the money. And the follow the money says, if you were being bought out by big companies, then the WHO should have done nothing. You know, But if you can produce a negative statement that says diet sodas are not good for you and they're not producing the outcomes that you think you're doing, that's not what I wanted to hear because there's a billions of dollars worth of marketing from various uh, drink companies to say, you know, diet this and no sugar, all of Yeah, zero calorie drinks, et cetera, yeah. Yeah, and so for WHO to come out with a, even a moderate report that says, you know, it's not working the way you expect. It's probably not healthy, so you should really cut back or stop them completely. Something worth noting, something worth noting. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, links in the show notes if you want to go read that uh, advisory for yourself. That does wrap up the news portion of the show. Stay tuned for our sponsored Tech Bytes conversation. We're going to talk with Pika 8 on its about its network OS and white box networking. That's coming right up. Today on the Tech Bytes podcast, it's about white box networking with our sponsor, Pika 8. We haven't talked much about white box in the last, I don't know, maybe a year, a few months or so. And that's probably because people are just doing it and solving the problem getting freedoms of choices from hardware, from closed network operating systems, expands the solution for the real world. You can just use whatever you need to do to get the job done. Now, Pika 8 is a network operating system and combined hardware platform. It runs on standard hardware. It supports the standards, has the features that you would expect, things like multi-gig, PoE, zero trust platform support. And for those wanting to do automation for day two, you know, supremacy over the network, Pika 8 has that too. And we'll talk about that in the next 10 or so minutes. Joining us today is Ben Moore and Neil Trever from Pika 8. Just for the record, P-I-C-A 8, the number 8, Pika 8. Let's get right into it by starting with an overview of Pika 8 as a solution and then angling into the harsh realities of white box networking in an era of supply chain problems and ever more locked-in networking equipment. Ben, give us a very quick, fast pitch of what Pika 8 solution looks like and why customers would be interested. Sure, I think that's a, a great place to start. And I'd, I'd like to say that what we're really trying to do is create network freedom. We're trying to get away from these vertically integrated systems and give customers the choice of both hardware and software. So the Pika 8 network platform is designed for enterprise networks and uh, distributed branches and campuses, as well as data centers, and offer software for managing switches, uh, as well as running the white box hardware. And so it consists of three core components. First is AmpCon, which is our automation and network controller. Then there's the Pico software, which is the network operating system that actually runs on the switches themselves. And then finally, we have something we call Picos V, which is a free virtual machine from Pika 8 that can help you get started with open networking and uh, run those Pico software switches in, say, GNS3. So you're kind of unique in the sense that you're willing to work in the campus. So far, we've seen a lot of white box in the data center, but not so much in the campus environment. But you're saying that you can run Picos over a Dell or a Delta or an Edge Color or white box, choose mix and match as you see to your heart's content. And you can manage the campus as well as some data center functionality. That's correct. So we see a lot of customers coming to us from the perspective that they want to eliminate vendor lock-in, uh, lower their total cost of ownership, and then increase flexibility. And so they see commodity hardware as a way to do that. And so whether they're buying boxes from Delta or Dell or Edge Core, they want to be able to run a piece of software on that, that they're not locked into a particular vendor. And when they start looking at open, 
there's often a confusion that comes between open and open source. And let's be realistic. There's a lot of software that's built on top of open source today, but is vendor supported. And so some of the challenges that I think are perceived within disaggregated or the open networking space is that this is all open source and that we're not going to have the support that we want. But the reality is, is that Pika 8 has built a software on top of open source. And we're a vendor here that is recognized by uh, Fortune 500s in supporting these types of implementations, both in uh, enterprise campus, branch, and data center. So what you're alluding to there, I think, is that there are many flavors of open source, barbecue, you know, <laughs> prime rib, Yep. Yeah, Hollandaise sauce. No, I, I think what you're trying to say there is that open for Picos and for Ampcon is that you can run Picos on a range of hardware that's open choices or you're using open systems. Picos, Picos itself is made up of a number of open source projects plus the value that you add to it. So open can mean different things. Absolutely. I think that is a great way of, of defining it. I think even more important, this super, super important distinction, let's go to the tape, Bob, is the fact that when it comes to open source, the support is left to you, right? You're going mm -hmm. to forums, you're going to community. Um, yes, it's the best price free. And guess what? You get what you pay for when it comes to support. Pika 8, mm -hmm. to Ben's point, is the fact that we're supporting it. You get 24 by 7 by 365, you get enterprise support for your mm -hmm. open source, right? And yeah. so when it comes to networking, just like others, others very much um, set the stage for doing the same thing with just open source software. We're doing mm -hmm. the same thing with open networking, open yeah, source based right. software. We hear it from our customers all the time, to be honest with you. They, they really like open source from an open network perspective to test mm -hmm. and see if it's going to work. But the reality is, is that they don't want to build a commercial product or offering around that. And so, yeah, for I want to go home at five o'clock. I don't want exactly. to be sitting there delving through a thousand forums trying to find an answer that somebody posted eight years ago. That's the exactly. solution to my problem. I guess the the other side here is that even if I mean I'm looking at this, we talk about lock in. What I like to think about is not what I'm being locked into. I like to think about locking out. How do I get away from you? if something went wrong, right? And that should apply to any decision. When you're buying a brand vendor or a more conventional vendor, how do you get out? Now, you're using open standard protocols. You comply with all the APIs. It's all normal. And in the event that you even did want to leave Pika 8, you've still got all the standard hardware. You just go and reflash it and put on another operating system and you're back in business. So your lockout is actually very solid. Exactly. And I, and I think you see that in some of the uh, networking industry today where there have been certain vendors through acquisition that have gone from open mm. to closed and are now tied to mm. a particular software and hardware offering. And there are customers that struggle with that today. What do I do with all these boxes that I invested in, but are not end of life at this point? So are they gonna reinvest in an, enti an entirely new stack? Are they gonna operate in an unsupported way? Or is there a different solution where exactly to your point, I reflash the hardware, I put on another piece of software and I can still get the same benefits mm. of, of the open networking. How would you respond to issues around uh, this disaggregation model where I, as a network engineer, feel like I'm taking on the, uh, you know, potentially an operational challenge of having to just load the software onto the switches that are delivered as opposed to getting an integrated box and just firing it up and running? 
Well, I'll tell you one thing with the disaggregation, flipping it on the other side, not just the software, but the hardware being that disaggregated and let's saying, hey, I want I want to get it bundled. Sure, that's an option and we can have our partners do that. And 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 many of them do. It you get you get your bare metal with Peak 8. But okay. but here's the most important thing is we have many customers coming to us now that have the same thought of, I want to replace a piece of hardware like I'm changing a tire. Goodyear, Michelin, doesn't matter. It's a tire. It fits my car. It works. And more importantly, it has everything I need without everything I don't. And so I need to be able to do that with my hardware, right? You can't do that if you get a bundled lock-in. It has to be a specific piece or a close matching piece from that vendor, and that leaves you in trouble. And when we talk about supply chain and we talk about all these things related, it makes, we make, changing your network like changing a tire. And that's the way it should be open. And that part of that open piece, by providing support for all of that, right, as a paid support, we make that open source, that open piece of open, not scary. So you're saying if there's a campus switch and, you know, some new version of the, the, the ASIC comes out that's got better performance, better efficiency or whatever, because I'm not tied into, you know, this integrated software or hardware model, I can just get that switch, reload the image uh, of the NOS that I've been using with all the features that I want on it. Uh, like, yeah, exactly like changing a tire. Is that what you're saying? 100%. Okay, so here's what I want to ask is I want to ask, uh, a lot of people wouldn't be able to say, I know what Pika 8 is and compare you to my competitors. So what are the things, what what are some of the best features that differentiate you from your competitors, do you think? Or what are the things that customers are surprised to hear that Picos does? Um, I think a number of things. One is the fact that automation is included. It's not a bolt-on, it's not an add-on. We include whether whether you go with our licensing, whether you go perpetual, whether you go subscription. And I want to touch on that very importantly. Big difference. Yes, we offer subscription. We do make it very – we, we have a very big economic incentive with it. But here's the big reason why. Big scary story, right? Customer-wise, healthcare customer came to us. And yes, they had a subscription software for their network. And when the subscription accidentally ended, so did their network. So would you want to be in a healthcare provider or a hospital where the network goes down because they did they forgot to pay the subscription, someone just missed it? I don't know, saving lives. And mm. um, the whole thing goes down. PKA right. will never shut your network off. We may shut okay. your support off if you don't pay your if you don't pay your dues, and even then we will so probably pr- provide it to you interim while you get things worked out. But we're never yeah. going to shut your network off, and that's huge. Um, I also think it's cost. It, well, I'm also thinking of the fact that you got, I can replace with any switch. So if I've got supply chain challenges. But I was also thinking about security. So one of the aspects that we're seeing a lot, especially in the campus, is this integration with network access control. Uh, you know, there's various policy engines, a Rubik Clear Pass and so forth. Are you able to work with those if people have got those today? We work with pretty much all of them. And the top ones you mentioned, you can see how-to guides right on our website and our docs. Aruba, Cisco, Packet Fence, um, Portnox, and the list goes on. Yes, yes, yes. So if I'm running some sort of, you know, this type of network access control to get my, because that's where most of us are in the campus today, I can drop these switches straight in. I mean, there's some design issues there. It's not just a case of, you know, like for like replacement so forth, but I could come up with the same idea around secure access layer switching that's directly compatible with my existing Cisco Aruba Wi-Fi. All the accoutrements you're looking for, .1X, dynamic ACLs, named ACLs, All the things you're looking for are there with PK8, and that's the beautiful part, right? Because we're open, we support all of the modern security needs and accoutrements. 
And so that means if I've got, I still need a Wi-Fi, you're still there to support, like you would use partner with somebody else for the Wi-Fi part. Yeah, while we don't run on Wi-Fi, you can easily plug in an access point and network and a wireless controller and have the mm. full interoperability 802.1x authentication, zero trust passed all the way down to the edge. Mm-hmm. On the on the supply chain side, if folks are you know looking to do a campus upgrade or just whatever and and need a switch, but the the vendor they're using doesn't have it, can you come into an environment that's you know, brand X already and just uh, slot in uh, for a, a hole they need to fill? I would say pretty much not all, but um, a majority even in, in some cases, that's how we operate. It's a multi-vendor world. It's a, you know, and, and we live in it. So mm-hmm. you can easily plug us in. We fully integrate, interoperate Cisco, Aruba, and the list goes yeah. on, right? All, all the big iron vendors. Yeah, that's the whole, the whole reason for, having, for being open, having all the interoperating protocols, except for, of course, in some cases where some are very proprietary, where you just can't connect, like everyone's MLAG or mm-hmm. MCLAG, multi-chassis link aggregation. That happens to be a protocol that is just proprietary with each, each vendor. But there is EVPN multi-homing on the on, on the open side, which we do support and fully interoperates with everybody else. So it, it, it works that way pretty much 100% up and down the chain. And on the right. supply chain issue, I, I think the thing that I would add there is we have a healthcare customer who doesn't even want to buy support on the hardware anymore because they view it as such a, a commodity that it's rip and replace for them. So they'd rather take that budget yes. and spend it on additional boxes and if they have an issue, they just pull the one that's not working out, put the new one in. You know, it's as hot swappable mm-hmm. as they can possibly make it, and they're off and running again. Yeah, that's interesting. So they just have instead of having you know hot swappable power supplies or fans, they're just swapping in a whole new exactly. Box. And so I think a lot of people are starting to see the model that the hyperscalers have been taking with their enormous data center footprints and saying, why can't we do that too? And so that's the real and- opportunity with Open. You can do that because you're certified to run on a variety of hardware platforms. Correct. Mm. I I think that's interesting because I've actually been advising the companies to do that and say like, why if you're going to buy this stuff and calculate how much the maintenance of this stuff, like just the hardware maintenance and the software, not the software maintenance, just the hardware maintenance, you can actually typically buy for every five units you buy, you can buy one more unit in hardware if you're not paying for hardware maintenance. All you need is software maintenance and tech support. Then you can actually just buy spares. So if you're buying 50 switches, just buy 10 spares. That'll get you through five years. You'd be surprised how easy that is and how much quicker you can work. And when you think about the, the large iron giants, they won't, they don't only separate that. You have to buy maintenance. You have to buy maintenance. And when your bill mm. comes due, your bill comes due and it may be right over your head or well, well mm. over your head. And so at yeah. that point you're, you're, you're stuck in a bind. And if you had, you'd kept with the spare in the air strategy and except mm. this case had them right on hand, that cost significantly lowers and being able to treat it like changing a tire. When you think about it, it's the same thing. It's exactly that same analogy. You, you don't pay for maintenance on tires. You swap them. Mm-hmm. So the value prop here on, on, on peak eight, it primarily is around software. It sounds like, is there a way I can, you know, test this NOS, kick, <laughs> kick the tires to stick with that uh, metaphor? Yes, please come check us out at, uh, www.pk.com forward slash packet pushers, um, which uh, you will then find that, yes, we have mentioned prior Picos V, and that's exactly what Picos V is for. The V is for virtual um, and value. 
And when you plug in Picos V, easy to try, also works on all of your favorite test platforms, GNS3, EVNG, and the list goes on. You can play with us to your heart's content, get a look and feel for our CLI, and yes, yes, contact us ASAP so we can guide you through, get you all the help and tech decks that you need, whatever you need mm-hmm. to help to help you get it running. But Can um, I have a yes, play with easy. AmpCon? If I want to test or do a test drive of your network controller, can I do that? I probably have to contact you for that. Yes, in fact... Um, and we definitely want you to contact us because we can help you extend AMCON. AMCON is built on, again, open source, Ansible and Jinja. In fact, we also allow you to run Ansible Galaxy, pick up all your favorite playbooks for all of those additional devices you have in your network. So you can mm-hmm. have a single place to automate API, not only manage and push out to your Pika 8, but to your non-Pika 8, all in one family happy hub. Right. So, yes. Mm. And so please contact us again, www.pk8.com forward slash packet pushers. And we will be happy to get you up and running with both AmpCon and Picos after you started kicking the tires on Picos V just to get a taste. So, Neil, one of the things you just said is that AmpCon can manage other vendors' networking equipment. That implies that I can do a brownfield. That is, I can go into an existing network and start adding the Picos solution and the AmpCon to the existing network. Is that right? Is that a, is this a brownfield type of strategy as possible? Yes. And in fact, I mentioned earlier, one, we're all in industry standard open protocols. So from a NOS perspective, where it counts, we are touching infrastructure to infrastructure, we integrate pretty easily. But on the flip mm. side, that it's all about management and automation, right? So from that standpoint, AmpCon, we extend ourselves through Ansible. And because Ansible is that open, we can import those other players' playbooks through Ansible Galaxy mm-hmm. And then you can easily push and deploy either through our UI or through our, uh, yes, full set of REST APIs. You can automate the automator to be able to manage both Pika 8 and all of your other integrated changes you need to make from one place. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. If you want to learn more about what you're hearing to access downloads, the, the documentation is out there. You can just go and look at the Pika 8 documentation if you want to do a paper review. Um, there's also a landing page, pika8.com. That's P-I-C-A, the number eight, dot com slash packet pushes. If you head over there, that helps to support us. And Pika 8, know that they heard, you heard about them on this show. There's lots more resources there, the virtual instance. And don't forget that there are Cumulus and Cisco migration options if that's your existing network. And as I already said, you can request a free consultation. As always, you can find many more other fine free technical podcasts and they're supported by our sponsors. So thanks very much for listening. And uh, if you do get in contact with them, tell them that this is where you heard about it. You can follow us on social medias. Find us on our website. There's links and, and various other pieces of information there. And you can also remember that too much networking is never going to be enough. <laughs>